Today our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of John. We'll be reading from the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 45. Again, that is John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. I invite you, if able, to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sister sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you were going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. While Mary stayed at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They had followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
And the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Now, the story of Lazarus is obviously a, a good lead-up as we're in the Lenten season. It's, it's a good precursor, or it's even, to use uh, something that I learned back in school in my English class, it would be called foreshadowing, where you have one event that closely mirrors and alludes to an event that is coming. And so, obviously, when John wrote this part of his gospel, he was preparing the reader and trying to explain to his church, those who had not actually been witnesses to the ministry of Jesus, those who had merely heard about it, and the generations that would come after, so that they would be prepared and understand how intentional Jesus had been in his ministry. And so this particular section talks about Lazarus being raised from the dead, and obviously that is a precursor to Easter. It is Jesus doing something, that was extraordinary. Now, he had done this once before. If you remember, he had raised a little girl. But when he did that, he told the disciples not to tell anybody till after the Son of Man had been raised. But this time, he was being more public, more intentional. Matter of fact, as these last couple of stories in this part of John go, Jesus is becoming more and more confrontational with the establishment, and he's even been telling his disciples that he is going to be put to death. He's been very clear about it. But see, the hard part with hearing these hard truths is, you know, if you don't want to believe something, it's hard to really take it in. If you don't want something to be true, it's easy to dismiss it or find a way around it or find something else. And so the disciples just weren't getting it. But as we read the story, and it's, it's one of those stories in the Bible that you really can't read just part of it. You kind of, kind of go through the entire bit to really understand it and see all the nuances, all the little pieces that John was putting in there. For instance, when he introduces the family of Lazarus, his two sisters, what does he say about Mary? 
This was the one who anointed his feet. Now, the funny part is, that story is actually not in the Gospel of John until the next chapter. But he wants to make sure that this raising of Lazarus will be connected with his own burial, with his own anointing, that you truly understand what he's trying to convey here. And even more so, there are some interesting interactions between everybody there, and it gets a little confusing. When the message comes, now, as we, as we were told earlier, Lazarus is a dear, dear friend, a long-term friend, one that has known Jesus most of his life. And he was very close to him and his two sisters. And you can imagine, if you were friends with Jesus, that you might have a little, little extra pull. You know, we do that, don't we, when we know somebody? And I'm, I'm going to embarrass him a little bit. But how many of you have pulled on Dr. Jim's ear because he's your doctor, but it doesn't matter where he is, you're going to ask him, you know, Doc, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that. But that's just naturally what we do. Or, you know, I have to admit, when I was in the Air Force and I might have gone a little over the speed limit on a base, I was the chaplain to our security forces. Guess who didn't get a ticket? Although it was always fun to see a young airman's face as he walked up to the car with his book, and I rolled down the window, and he goes, Nope. Go on, chaplain. Because oftentimes, that's the way our world works. When we know somebody, when we have somebody that does, you know, has power, has something to give, and we're close to them, we can expect that we'll be kind of first in line. The only problem is that's not really how it always worked out. If you think about who all the people were that Jesus was performing all of these miracles with, they were strangers. They were outcasts from society. They were people who he happened upon and would heal them. Matter of fact, the disciples complained, Lord, we have given up everything to follow you. What's in it for us? They argued about who was the greatest. And Jesus kept teaching them these lessons the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Or I would figure he probably said in, in, in a nicer way, but sometimes akin to, don't worry, you'll get what's coming to you. Actually, in truth, you won't get what's coming to you. Because if we got what we deserved, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. Amen? So, you have this family that's very close to Jesus, and they send him a note, and Jesus basically says, this is the kind of thing that leads to death. Matter of fact, this is for God's glory. And you can imagine the disciples going, okay. And then a little bit later he says, well, now we have to go. We've, we've, we've spent a couple extra days here, but now we have to go to Judea, which, of course, at this point, they were plotting. They were trying to figure out how they could kill him already how they could get rid of this upstart who was healing people on the Sabbath, who was always confronting and undermining their authority. And so now Jesus says we must go back because Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now normally when the disciples don't get something, I blame it on them being thick. You know, just a little dense. But let's face it, here I told them, you know, this is the kind of thing that doesn't lead to death. And now he tells them he's fallen asleep. So they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll be fine. You know, he's sick. He needs his rest. Of course, Jesus looks at him and goes, okay. He's dead. 
I know I was a little bit confusing there, but he's dead, so we have to go. And so he takes his disciples and they head back into Judea, back into the danger zone, back into a place that is close to Jerusalem. And of course, we also know this is march towards Jerusalem is his march towards the cross. And so there's all kinds of elements here that are showing how this is going to become dangerous for him and for them. Now, on top of that, when Jesus arrives, the two girls come out. And what do they both say to him? If you'd only been here, our brother would be alive. Even some of the Jews later on said, hey, this guy healed a blind guy. Couldn't he have helped this guy? Because that's that, that's that thought of, okay, here is Jesus. Here is this miracle worker, this prophet, this person who we don't fully understand, but we know he's been doing a lot of good stuff. And if he does that for people he barely knows, how much more would he do for these two sisters whom he loves to this friend who was more like a brother to him? That was the expectation. And it was a valid one. Even the girls, while they have faith, because they know he could have done miraculous things, he know, they knew that he did miraculous things, but there's still that little bit of disappointment, that little bit of concern. Lord, if only you had been here things would have been better. And I think that's an important thing for us to sort of wrap our minds around. Because we too have that same complaint. Earlier in the service, we read the prayer list. We continuously pray for people. We're going to have a prayer vigil. We have a group that comes in and prays in the morning. I often tell you to pray without ceasing. I, you know, it is a very important part of our spiritual life. Seek God's blessings and he will bless us abundantly. That's what we're promised. But the problem sometimes is we forget a very important phrase in the Lord's Prayer. We say it. And we know what it means, but still sometimes we have a hard time resting there. It is thy will be done. Because I think sometimes we approach God with, Lord, uh, thy will be done, but if you don't mind... This is kind of how I'd like it to look. This is what I truly want. And I don't think it's bad to ask God for specifics as long as we're willing to step back and understand there are going to be times when it's not going to fit in our schedule. There are going to be times when it's not going to look the way we want it to look. There are going to be times when there are situations in our lives and the lives of our friends and our families and our loved ones when we just scratch our heads and go, why would the Lord allow this to happen? Why is there still suffering? Why are there still wars? Why is there famine? Why are there tornadoes still destroying homes? Why? God is good. God is love. And I've heard people say, well, if these are true, then shouldn't all of these things be taken care of? But if you'll remember in this, Jesus, when he told the disciples, what did he tell them was the purpose of this illness? It was for God's glory. See, that's something we often forget because when we say, Lord, I want you to do it this way, we trust in him like the girls did. We believe in him. Our hope is placed in him. And yet, even as we offer that prayer up, even as we offer these desires to him, 
even as we are faith-practicing followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, even in those moments, they're still, with the other hand, we start to pull some of that back. You guys ever seen the uh, bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot? Well, those people are in the wrong seat. But at least they're honest. Because while many of us love the song, Jesus, take the wheel, we like to take it back. And the thing is, Jesus is patient. And he is merciful. And he allows us to do those things. He allows us sometimes to sit in that time, in that weirdness, in that delay, like he did with his disciples. He gets a note saying that his close friend is ill, and he remains two more days because he tells them, this is for God's glory. And they don't fully get it. They don't quite understand it. You know that they were talking a little bit, but why didn't he just go? Why didn't he just take care of this? We've seen him do so much as we ourselves. We know that people are healed. We know that people are made successful. We know that God works in the lives of many people in our community and in our families. Amen? But at the same time, we also know sometimes it doesn't happen the way we think it ought to. And there's many times when we ourselves sit there in the darkness, in the pain, in the misery of this life, crying out to God who we know can remedy all of our pain and all of our suffering, and yet we still find ourselves in those moments. Because there's a hard reality that we have to face. Sometimes in our struggle, that's where God is glorified. Sometimes in our pain, it's not the delivery from the illness, it's not the delivery from the situation, but it is God giving us the strength to hold on for just another minute. And then just another minute. And to continue to support us even there in our pain. Not fully taking it away, but giving us the strength to continue in it. Giving us the hope. You see, to me the key verse in this is my favorite Bible verse. And I've said this since I was a young man. Of course, when I first said it, it was because I was an honorary young man. And when I was in Sunday school, we were told that we had to memorize the Bible verse. So I remember memorized John 11.35. Jesus wept. You know, my friends were really jealous because, you know, they, they had really put some effort in it. I'm like, of course, finally, one of my Sunday school teachers caught me off guard. He goes, that's great. What does it mean? Uh... Self-explanatory. Jesus wept. Okay, but what does that mean? And as I started thinking about it, as I started working back through it, it really is interesting. The two sisters have just come to him. He's seen the mourners. He sees all of the pain and suffering that is happening in this community. But he knows what he's going to do. He knew it before Lazarus even died because he told his disciples, this was for God's glory. This does not lead to death. So he already knows, he already has in mind how this is going to work itself out or how he's going to work it out. But yet in this very moment, when confronted with all the pain and all the suffering, 
Jesus wept. He began to cry with them. And to me, when I look at that and try to understand it, it just shows us a very interesting part of Jesus' nature. Even though he has promised to deliver us, he has promised us life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live again. And those who believe in me, who live, will never die. That is the promise. But yet, in our world, we still see death and suffering. Why? Because it's a broken world. Yes, we live post-Easter. We live after the resurrection, so we have that additional hope. But we still live prior to the second coming. Prior to us being called to the place that he has prepared for each of us. We live in this world that still has sin. We live in this world that still has pain and suffering. And sometimes that comes into our lives. But if you look at what John wrote, Jesus wept. Even though he knew that he was going to deliver. Even though he knew that he was going to restore. Even though he knew that in short order, the sisters would be jumping for joy. At that exact moment, he wept because he was connected to them. Because he walks with us in our darkness. You see, oftentimes one of the scariest things we have when we're suffering, when we're going through hard times in life is, it's so easy to feel alone. It's so easy to feel abandoned. It's so easy to feel, why me? But in these two words, Jesus wept, we know that Jesus is with us in our pain. He, even though he has a remedy, even though he has a plan for it, In those dark moments, we are reminded of his promise, and I will be with you even unto the end of the age. His promise that, yes, I am with you now in this, even though later on, I'm going to transform the situation. They had a real hard time understanding it. I think we do too. I mean, we know... Jesus was raised from the dead. We know it was empty. But we still are often overwhelmed by the pain and the suffering of this world. We are still often in anguish over those things in our lives where we feel that there is great loss and suffering. Those things that we fear because we don't fully understand it based on what Christ has promised. We don't fully understand what true deliverance will look like because we don't live there yet. We live in this world. And in this world, we find ourselves crying out, Lord, if you would only take care of this, I would be better. Lord, if you would just do this for me, my life would be right. And his response is, this is in your life for the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying that God is inflicting pain and suffering upon us for his glory. What I am saying is that we live in a world that is broken and shattered. Therefore, there is pain and suffering. But even amidst all of that, the Lord who redeems us is also the Lord who walks with us, who strengthens us, who abides in us, who comes alongside us and reminds us we are not and never will be alone. We can't quite imagine what that will be like someday. But that's what Paul was talking about today in Romans. You see, 
The problem is, is we're trapped in the flesh. And it makes sense because that's where we are. And that's what we understand. But he's trying to get us to a higher level of understanding. and said, it's not the flesh. It's not the things that you see. It's not the experience you have. It's not these things that would distract you from your faith in God. Those things lead to death. Those things lead to doubt. But understand, you also have, inviting in you, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that was sent by the Father and by the Son. The loving Spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that abides in us and allows us to abide in Him and in our Father in Heaven. So friends, when we read some of these stories, they're wonderful messages, but I think sometimes we we miss out on the little subtleties. And sometimes just a two-word Bible verse can say all that you need to hear. Whenever you are sad, whenever you are in pain, whenever you feel alone, remember Jesus' response to Mary and Martha's pain. Jesus wept because Jesus was with them. And Jesus loved them. Even though he had a plan to fix it all, to bring them into happiness in that very moment, he was ever present, as he is in our lives. And sometimes that's hard to see because the world and the flesh distract us. But we must remember continually to cry out, Abba, Father, send your spirit to abide in me. And through that, even though I don't fully understand my situation, I do trust in your glory and that you'll be glorified in all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for this day, this chance to gather and worship for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who abides in us, who is a living presence in our lives, and through his redeeming power, through the power of your Holy Spirit. While we may not fully understand all of your words and all of your teachings, we may trust in the goodness and the perfection of your plan. So we praise you and give you thanksgiving. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.